Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of God the merciful the most gracious welcome to today's webinar which is not all risks are made equal not all risks are equal firstly i'd like to really thank you for spending some time time during your day to listen to us we do truly believe that we have something positive to share and we believe that is best practice now we're going to be talking about risk management and risk management is very very important not only in the charity sector but also in other sectors whether it's the financial sector whether you're dealing with program and project management in actual fact even in your personal life i mean we do this from an intuitive point of view we think about potential problems we think about potential events we think about obstacles and hurdles and all of these things have associated risk connected to them and we play this kind of mental chess in our minds to basically ensure that we fulfill our own personal private professional and otherwise objectives before i get into that just a quick introduction to iera iera is a uk-based charity but we have a global reach our vision is a world reconnected to god and the way we want to achieve that is by conveying the call advancing the prophetic mission which is reconnecting human hearts to the creator and we work all around the world and we have a local and global team and the way we want to, the way we want to convey the call is with compassion and reason now we've had an interesting journey in the past year and a half concerning best practice we've implemented a whole load of processes and policies and procedures so we can basically be in tune with charity commission guidance and also for us to basically run effectively as a charity because we truly believe in our vision and we want to basically achieve our charitable objectives now we've been working quite hard and the operations team have been working quite hard in developing these policies and procedures but we've realized that it's not only in the development in, of these policies and procedures we have to implement them from a cultural point of view from a professional point of view from an operational point of view it has to be embedded into the office culture into the operational culture and that requires training that requires good leadership it requires good management it requires good systems to be put in place because there's no point in developing for example a really good policy on dignity at work but no one follows it and no one understands it and no one knows how to implement it practically in their day-to-day -day professional lives so there's one thing saying what you should do and doing what you should do so what we've realized is that we really have to work on implementation and we, we've been working not only on the policies and the procedures but also on implementing them within the organization and that and that involves creating that best practice environment from the top down and the bottom up now our risk management journey is quite interesting last year april we developed a new risk management policy and procedure we understood that there was a legal statutory requirement for us to have a signed policy and procedure signed by the board and that we basically implemented the systems and processes in place in order for us to effectively manage risk because as you can as you can even imagine a charity dealing with you know 
at the advocation of religion, the conveying of Islam with compassion and reason, especially in today's social political climate, there's going to be so many different types of risks from reputational to financial. And, you know, we have a responsibility to ensure that we have the best practice processes in place from a risk management point of view in order to mitigate those risks, to ensure that the likelihood of risks are lowered and the impact of any risk, if the risk were to materialize, that would be also lowered too. And the, and the best case scenario would be that the risks are diminished, that they're so low that then they shouldn't really be considered part of your focus. You just have them at their, you know, they're not on your radar. Um, so we realized that we, we, we had to implement risk management on a more serious level. So from my personal point of view, I used to work in the project management and program management sector. I used to work for the government, for American companies. I used to work for also uh, non-governmental organizations. Um, and even I used to work for the commercial environment and because it was program and project management, we had to basically understand what risk management was um, because projects inevitably are going to have their problems, they're going to have the potential problems and obstacles, they're gonna, there's going to be an, a potential adverse effect on the project and that's what essentially risk is from a project management perspective. So you have to identify those risks, you have to assess them in terms of the likelihood and impact, you have to put mitigation strategies in place, what kind of actions are you going to connect to that risk in order to lower the likelihood and lower the impact, um, what kind of mitigation strategies are you going to use if you can't lower the impact, you can't lower the likelihood, what is your risk tolerance, what kind of costs are associated with your mitigations, so it can get really complex from a project management point of view. So what's interesting when we were implementing this in, in IERA as a charity, it looks like the charity commission has adopted, you know, a project management model for, for risk management. Obviously, these, these principles are common sense as well, and they transcend any specific professional uh, field. But the point is, I, 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 when I was going through the charity commission guidance in when we were implementing best practice, I was I was surprised to see that it was really, really, you know, almost identical to what happens in the program and project management uh, areas. So this is what we're going to cover in this webinar. We're going to cover what is a risk, why risk management, the process for risk management, which includes identification, assessment, mitigation. We're going to discuss what is CRAP T. Um, we're going to discuss what our process is within IERA, because obviously there's the process that you should follow, which is the kind of identification, assessment, and mitigation. But how do you implement that in your current organization with your specific context and your specific variables that you have as an organization? Because that's going to be slightly different or it may need to be tailored. Who is responsible ultimately for risk management? We're going to talk about some of the legal requirements charities have concerning risk management. And we're going to give you some advice, what you need to do straight away if you haven't done it already. And we're going to suggest some even better practice that hasn't been recommended by the Charity Commission, but based on, on our professional ex expertise, our experience, our lessons learned, and what happens in, in the commercial world, it's important to maybe add other things in order for your risk management to be effective. And then we're going to talk about the risk register, which you can download for free, by the way. You have two handouts, the slides that we're delivering today, and you should download a free risk 
register template for you to use. So what is a risk? This is very important. Now, a risk is an event or something occurring or something that can occur that may have an effect on your charity, okay? Now, this is usually understood as something negative in the project management kind of language. It's a potential adverse effect on your project. But best practice in the charity world and in the project management world has now slightly changed. And they're now starting to introduce ideas that risk can also be seen as positive because risk can be seen as opportunities. Okay, so that's that's something that is quite interesting. We're not going to go into that specific area because the best practice and the charity commission guidance doesn't really go into detail concerning the connection between risks and opportunities, but it's just something for you to think about. So again, what is a risk? A risk is an event or something that may occur that would have an effect on your charity. So it's a potential adverse effect on your charity, a potential adverse effect on your project, a potential ad adverse effect on your activities. So here's an example. Um, this is a financial risk. There is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations will undermine our contract negotiations with Airbus because Brexit has created an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. Now, obviously, this is not IRA's risk, but it's a hypothetical risk. As you can see, it's quite concise. It starts with there is a risk that indicating that this, there's something potential going on, it may happen. And it not only discusses what the risk is, but it elucidates why the risk is also a risk, why it may occur. So just to repeat, a good example is the following, there is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations will undermine, will undermine our contract negotiations with Airbus because Brexit um, has created an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. You could think of other examples. There is a risk that IERA as a charity will not be able to sustain itself to fulfill its charitable objectives because it doesn't have an adequate fundraising strategy. That's another risk. So that is a potential adverse effect on the project. That is something that may occur or it may happen as a result of our current state of affairs. So before we get into kind of, you know, assessing risks and identifying them and mitigating them and discussing the process, we have to realize why risk management. Now, it's a common sense thing. Problems are inevitable. There's issues with everything. I don't think there's ever been a project or an activity or anything happening, right, that hasn't had its own problems. There's going to be obstacles and there's going to be hurdles. This is an inevitability of private and professional life. So if this is the kind of standard that there's always going to be problems that they, they are inevitable then we need to start identifying what these problems are going to be we need to start playing chess in our minds and i think it's very important to have this chess example or this chess analogy because a good chess player doesn't think about the next step doesn't think about the next two steps or three steps or three moves rather it think he thinks or she thinks about the next 10 20 moves and the different kind of scenarios that can play out and that's what essentially risk management is. You know, what can go wrong? What are the potential obstacles? What are the current obstacles? What are the potential hurdles? So when you're identifying these potential problems, 
Therefore, you are able to basically prevent those problems. So in essence, risk management is preventing problems. And if I were to say to you, you know, you have this charity, you have these charitable objects, and you want to basically achieve all these amazing things. Now, if I were to say to you that, you know, you could prevent most of these, most of the problems that usually occur with charities from occurring, you know, would you be happy with that? Of course you'd be happy. You'd be delighted. You know, if you could find a way of stopping all the potential problems from occurring, and therefore you can fulfill your charitable objectives in the best way possible, you know, and everyone will be delighted. And, and that's what risk management is really about. We're just basically identifying potential problems and stopping the potential problems in order for the project to be successful, to be on time, to cost and to quality, and for our charitable activities to also be on time, to cost and quality, and our charitable objects to be achieved. Now, no one's ever going to say to me, you know what, there are no problems at all. That That is basically naive. It's, 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 it's probably a statement from coming from someone who's extremely idealistic and has, hasn't had any experience with projects or charities before. But obviously, we all know that problems are inevitable. So what you're doing with, with risk management is identifying those potential problems. And as a result, it will give you the opportunity to, to, to find out how to deal with those potential problems. Now, the Charity Commission guidance is, is, is very clear on this. It says organizations face internal and external actors and influences that make it uncertain whether, when, and the extent to which they will achieve or exceed the objectives. The effect this uncertainty has on the organization's objectives is risk. So the way they define risk from that point of view is basically internal and external influences and actions and actors and, and obstacles and problems that can basically have an adverse effect on the charitable objectives. In essence, it's, it's basically identifying potential problems and dealing with those potential problems. Now, one other reason why risk management is because there is a legal statutory requirement in order for charities to ensure that they're effectively managing risk, but I'm going to talk about that in, in, in a few minutes. So what's the process? Well, the Charity Commission gives some good advice concerning the process. It, it essentially says that risk management is dynamic, okay? You have to, it's, 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 it's cyclical. You're always dealing with risk, you know, just because you've identified a risk today and you, and you think you've dealt with, you know, dealt with the risk effectively, you've got good mitigation strategies in place, it, it, you can't now just close the risk, right? Usually it's always open and you're always keeping an eye on it. Yes, the impact and likelihood can fluctuate of a particular risk, but I would, it's very rare that you close off a risk completely um, unless, you know, the project is completed, of course. Uh, but when it comes to charities, many risks are ongoing. So the Charity Commission says quite clearly, risk management is a dynamic process, ensuring that new risks are addressed as they arise. It should also be cyclical, cyclical to establish how previously identified risks may have changed. Risk management is not a one-off event and should be seen as a process that will require monitoring and assessment. And staff would basically need to take responsibility. So from that point of view, it continues and says that there needs to be some kind of risk management culture. Now, the basic risk management process, as defined by the Charity Commission, and even by best practice project management that 
if you have experience or previous previous knowledge of you see that the process is as follows there's an identification stage where we have to identify the risks there's an assessment stage or essentially what that means is you assess the impact and likelihood of the risk there's a mitigation phase where you start thinking about what kind of actions do i put in place in order to stop the risk from materializing ensuring that the impact if it were to materialize were to be reduced and also reducing the likelihood of the risk from occurring there's also a post mitigation assessment which is very important what is the post mitigation assessment well as a result of your actions that you've put in place to lower the probability to lower the likelihood of the risk occurring to lower the impact of the risk if it were to materialize those actions have, a, have an effect on your risk has it decreased the impact has it lowered the probability of the risk occurring so we, we uh, assessment is not just a one-off thing you continually assess every time you implement new strategies in place every time you have new actions in place to deal with your risk and that's why review is very important because it's not just a linear process it's slick cyclical you, you continuing you continuing the identification process you're continually assessing and mitigating your risks so let's break this down in detail so you have an idea on what each stage each phase mean so identification now, identification is basically finding out what your potential problems are, finding out what the potential adverse effects are in your organization, finding out what the potential adverse effects are to your charity and your charitable objectives. Now, the interesting thing here is you just have to understand that some risks are obvious, obviously, but some are not. You really need to think hard when it comes to risk. I always say it's like playing chess. You need to be the Kasparov of the charity of the of, of the, the the of your charity you need a Kasparov or, or a couple of them right you know one of the best chess players in the world in order to think about you know what are the risks and how are they going to occur now sometimes we conflate risks with issues now what's important is that an issue is something that has already occurred it's a problem right in your face right it has occurred already it's not a potential problem it's not a potential adverse effect it's not a potential hurdle it's not a potential obstacle it is an obstacle it is a problem so it's actually occurred so don't think risks and issues are exactly the same so from this point of view, you could redefine a risk as a risk is a potential issue. It's a potential problem from occurring. It has not occurred though, and that's important. Now, another thing to highlight, which we're not going to get into, but you know, the more deep you get into this, you'd realize that issues can give rise to their own risks too. So maybe we'll go through this in our charity management series, is that we have to talk about change management and issue management. Essentially, issues occur. So things have materialized, problems are now facing us. We have obstacles right now. These obstacles and problems may have associated risk connected to them. So in order to have a comprehensive risk management strategy, policy and procedure, you need to basically also have an issue management policy and procedure because that can be connected to risk because issues can give rise to their own risks. But don't worry, we're not gonna discuss this now. So, 
the charity commission's guidance on identification is quite simple essentially it's saying that identifying and managing the possible and probable risks that a charity may face over its working life is a key part of effective governance for charities of all sizes and complexity so identification is quite simple you need to identify what are the potential problems concerning my charity my project my activity or my charitable objectives what are the potential issues what are the potential obstacles what are the potential adverse effects that are preventing my project activity um, that, that, that prevent my project or activity from being successful so before we start to identify some risks as an example let's think about the type of risk and IERA has adopted the different types of risks as per the charity commission guidance and these are the type of risks that the charity commission have explained this is not something that you have to do but this is just basically for good categorization start thinking about risks in those particular categories or areas of risk for example you have governance type of risks which can be connected to inappropriate organizational structure it could be connected to the trustees not having the relevant skills or commitment it could be to do it could concern conflicts of interest or even conflicts of loyalties because the charity commission not only talk about conflicts of interest but also conflicts of loyalty loyalties there's another category of risk called operational type risks, which could be about, you know, you, you have poor contract pricing, you don't have uh, adequate staff or staff training, you have doubt about the security of your assets, you don't have a good legal team in order to have good legally robust contracts. There's another area of risk as well, which is called external risks, which concerns PR, public relations, reputational management, responding to government policy, responding to other agencies and stakeholders that may affect your current organization. It's very important to understand that we don't live in a vacuum or in a bubble. You know, there are other organizations, charities, institutions, government or otherwise that have an effect on our charitable objectives or on our projects or our, or our related activities. You also have another category of risk, which is compliance with law and regulation. You know, we need to have good knowledge because poor knowledge is could be a risk. Because if we don't if we don't have knowledge of the regulatory requirements, uh, we don't we don't have knowledge of the statutory requirement of ensuring that we have risk management procedures signed off by the board then we need to know and that's why many of us on this webinar we're listening to this webinar or this podcast because we want to gain knowledge in order for us to basically be compliant with with law and regulation so these are the categories of risk you know my advice is when you start to identify some of your risks follow the categorization of the charity commission and start thinking right what are what are our governance risks what are our operational risks? And it just helps you brainstorm and think about the types of risks associated with these areas of risk or with these categories of risks. So my advice in helping you identify risks is quite simple. Brainstorm, I repeat, brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm. Sit with the right people and start talking about what are the potential adverse effects on your project or on your charity that's the right question you need to ask the first question as and when you brainstorm you need to understand the power of further questioning now you need to ask the right questions for example what are your objects and outcomes because once you understand your objects objects and outcomes clearly you'll be able to understand any potential problems associated with that 
Also, you need to ask the question, what is the nature of your activities, right? Understanding the nature of your activities and what you're actually going to be doing in detail is going to help you identify any potential adverse effects concerning your activities or projects. You know, what is current or pending legislation? That is a very important question because if you don't ask it, then no one's, no one's going to search for any current or pending legislation because there's lots of legislation that's coming out that may affect the way charities are run. You know, have we signed up to the Charity Commission website and its guidance? You know, do we have adequate advisors in place within the organization that keep an eye on current or pending legislation? Because when new or pending legislation comes in place, then we have to understand what the potential adverse effects that can arise from that. For example, IERA, for example, as an organization, sometimes we go into the public and we do positive outreach. We may distribute material. Now, what we have to do is find out what is the current legislation of that particular area in that particular country. Not asking that question is not good practice because when you ask that question, then you find out what the legislation is then you'll be able to respond effectively. And not only that, you'll be able to understand what the potential adverse effects on your activity could be as a result of that legislation that you have found out. Also, what are your past mistakes and problems? You know, find out, you know, about your history, find out about any past mistakes and problems other personnel have faced concerning certain activities or projects. What is the charity's reputation with its major funders and supporters? What is the operation operating structure of the charity? So these type of questions, and there are many, many questions for you to ask, are quite important to be answered prior to identifying any risk, because answering these properly would pave the way to start asking the question, right, now what are the potential problems concerning our activities or our charity or fulfilling these charitable objects as a result of understanding the answers to the questions that we've just asked. Another important point, apart from brainstorming, and I suggest that you have regular risk brainstorming sessions. Um, another thing to do is consult stakeholders. Now, what is a stakeholder? A stakeholder is someone who has an influence to your organization or charity or project or activity or charitable objects. That's what a stakeholder is. Now, from this point of view, these stakeholders, if they have an influence on your charitable activities or, or projects or objects, then they may have some knowledge that you don't. They may have some understanding of, you know, the current risks that are involved that, that can affect your risks. So they may have certain risks that can affect your own risks too. So that's why it's very important, senior management, to always, you know, network, understand who the stakeholders are. And this opens an, another area of best practice, which is what is your stakeholder management policy? Have you got a stakeholder management list? Who manages your stakeholders? How do you prioritize your stakeholders? What kind of stakeholders are there that affect your objects, your activities, and your charity as a whole? Is that influence negative or positive? Is it neutral? So these are things you need to talk about. And I'm not going to get into it because we'll be here all day. But basically, stakeholder management is also a link to risk management as well. Because once you understand your stakeholders, which are people or entities or organizations that have an influence on your charity, they may carry some risk. Knowing their risk may 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 give rise to risks that you are unaware of. So it's very important to understand who your stakeholders are. Another thing that helps you identify risk is inter-charity information sharing. Get to know other charities, you know, get to know other charities, especially 
in the sector that you're involved in. If it's the humanitarian sector, you know, network, have dinners, have coffees, discuss, share information, understand what best practices they have, understand their risks, right? Because the way they respond to certain risks, you could basically adopt the mitigation strategies or the way they have identified risk, you could basically um, share some of that best practice. And it's very important for you to do that. Yes, it's not easy. You know, we get out of our comfort zone. We have to start cold calling, emailing, speaking, going to certain events, uh, you know, especially if it's connected to the area of work that we're working in. But it's very important for you to liaise with other leaders, other CEOs, other trustees, other charity, charity workers who work with risk and work with operations or work with governance in order for you to understand how they manage risk because they may have best practice. They may be doing something really well and you could share that some of that information. So increase your networking from that point of view. Something very, very important to help you identify risk is creating a risk culture at work. For example, in our era, we have a staff meeting once a week and we basically have a risk management item. And it's very important because it creates that culture. Small little change, put a permanent risk management item in your agenda and then people will be thinking about the risks associated with their projects, associated with their activities, associated with anything that they're doing in their work. For example, you know, the risk could be related to PR, it could be related to a certain international trip. For example, we're going to Australia soon, we're going to be going to Malawi, there's going to be maybe social political risks, there's going to be uh, public relation risks, there may be financial risks involved. So the person responsible for that particular project activity would raise that well in advance and all the essential steps that we have to take to identify, assess, and mitigate that risk will be in place immediately. So let's identify one risk together and we pick the risk that we did previously. Now, what's very important is important when you identify risk is when you write it down to be very clear, detailed, and unambiguous, okay? And it's good practice to mention the potential impact. For example, just like the one we, we spoke about earlier, it's a financial risk or contractual risk, and it's as follows. There is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations will, will undermine our contract negotiations with Airbus because Brexit is creating an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. And this is quite a clear, detailed, and unambiguous risk. It also mentions the potential impact, right? The potential impact is what? That, that it would undermine our contract negotiations. And you also mentioned the reason, which is very important. And that's... I, I, that's I, that's what I wanted to really say here, actually, which is it mentions the reason because under, under, seeing the source of the risk is very important because, you know, God forbid, say you were to be run over by a bus, someone reads this risk, they know what's going on straight away. So there is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations undermine our contract negotiations. So it discusses what the potential adverse effect is. It also discusses the area of impact, which is the contract negotiations. And it says the why, where it came from. Because Brexit is creating an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. Now, my advice is you may need to go into, into even more detail with this risk because it's a little bit ambiguous concerning the contract negotiations. Because the question here is, what aspect of the contract negotiations are you talking about? Because these type of contract negotiations could be huge. 
you know, a, a big part of the contract negotiation may have already been done, or it may have a very, very low risk. It may have no risk at all, but there may be a certain part of the contract negotiation concerning, for example, EU legislation. That may be a specific problem. Now, if that's the case, you need to bring it into your description. You need to identify it because the more you give, the better. I'm not saying write an essay. It has to be as concise as possible, but you have to balance clarity with conciseness and ambiguity and detail all together. And my advice is, you know, having one or two lines is not a problem. So we could readdress this risk even in, in more detail. We could say there is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations will undermine our contract negotiation with Airbus with specific reference to EU legislation concerning repayments because Brexit is creating an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. That for me is a beautiful risk. It's beautiful, right? It's 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 a Michelin star risk, right? It's the Gordon Ramsay of risk if you like yeah you know i've been watching gordon ramsay uh, i think he's great uh, some people don't like him i think he's like marmite you either like it or you don't but gordon ramsay when he when he likes something he would tell you and he said this is a five-star dish uh, if he doesn't like it you would know so from this point of view you know if this risk that we just discussed now we just refined was a a a, a dinner uh, I think Gordon Ramsay would say it would be, it'll be absolutely beautiful, absolutely delicious. <laughs> so let me just repeat, refine the risk a bit more now. There is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations will undermine our contract negotiations with Airbus, specifically with regards to EU legislation concerning repayment, because Brexit is creating an, an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. So we we know how to identify we have to be clear unambiguous concise talk about the reason talk about the area of impact now it's about the assessment and this is very important yeah now the charity commission says that identify risks need to be put into perspective in terms of the potential severity of the impact and likelihood of the occurrence so what's best practice best practice here is you need to understand the risk level of your risk concerning the likelihood and the impact so the risk that we just mentioned is going to have an impact what is the level of the impact ranging from one to five this risk has a likelihood of it occurring and materializing and again what is the risk level here in terms of likelihood is it one two three or four or five now you need an overall risk score now the risk score is essentially the likelihood times the impact and the risk score would help you from a kind of quantitative point of view allow you to understand what is a low risk what is a medium risk and what is a high risk and we're going to discuss this in the next few slides but before we do that it's very important to understand the picture and not the pixel sometimes we have a very pixelated understanding when it comes to risk we look at that one risk only that's the highest risk but three high risks let's just focus on these no, 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 you cannot do that. Be very careful because risks change, they fluctuate, right? Based on context and, and variables. And a low risk today may be a high risk tomorrow, right? And many low risks put together could really undermine the whole organization because you have to allocate resources to keep those risks low. And if you have a thousand low risks, then all your charity is doing is just dealing with risks. And then after you close down because you're not fulfilling any of your charitable objectives. So understand that 
you know, risk management is about seeing the whole picture, not just the pixel, not just focusing on one or two risks. And that's why the Charity Commission says a focus on high impact risk is important, but trustees should not forget that what may be a lower impact risk can change to a very high impact risk because of the possible connection between it happening and triggering the occurrence of other risks. One low impact risk may lead to another and another so that the cumulative impact becomes extreme or catastrophic, as I've just mentioned. So it's very important to keep that in mind. So how do we assess the risk? So each risk is going to have an impact and it's going to have a likelihood. So what does the impact mean? It basically means if this risk, if this potential adverse effect were to materialize, what would be the level of the impact? Now, we have adopted in IERA a level of one to five, which is also based on Charity Commission best practice. And level one, for example, is an insignificant risk. Level two is a minor risk from a point of view of impact. Level three is a moderate impact. Level four is a major impact. Level five is an extreme or catastrophic impact. So what does insignificant mean? What does a level one mean? Basically, no impact on service, no impact on reputation, uh, com complaint unlikely, litigation risk unlikely. Um, also, if it's minor, if it's a level two, it will be a slight impact on service, a slight impact on reputation, a complaint may be possible, litigation may be possible. If it's a moderate level impact or level three, there'll be some disruption, um, some potential, there'll be a potential for adverse publicity, complaints, a complaint is probable, litigation is probable. If it's a level four or a major impact, service is going to be disrupted, there's going to be an adverse publicity, and that's not going to be avoidable. Um, there's going to be complaint probable, uh, you're going to have complaints that may be coming in, a litigation may be probable. If it's extreme or catastrophic or a level five impact, and then service is interrupted for a significant time, major adverse publicity is not avoidable, major litigation is ex expected, resignation of senior management, loss of beneficiary confidence, and so forth and so on. Now, what's interesting here, let's, let's now apply this impact assessment on the financial risk that we discussed. So what was the financial risk? We said there is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations will undermine our contract negotiations with Airbus because Brexit is creating an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. Now, I would say based on this table, it's a three or four, more, more likely maybe three. But, you know, if, if you want to have, if you want to be more risk averse and, and, and make sure that you're dealing with these risks properly, maybe you want to go towards the higher end so it raises more alarm bells so you could actually spend more resources and more actions to ensure that this risk doesn't materialize. So from this point of view, this risk may be a three or four. There may be service disruption because the contract negotiations are very important with Airbus. If it, if it falls through, then there'll be a disruption in service. Uh, now, depending if this, this contract is for a specific area of your work or for all of your work, then the level may change. If it's a specific area, then it will be a moderate impact level three because it'll be some service disruption. If it's, you know, concerning the majority of your work, then I would say it will be a level four because most of your services will be disrupted as a result of the contract failing, essentially. So let's now move to likelihood. Now, the likelihood level concerns how likely uh, this risk will materialize, 
how likely this potential adverse effect on your project or your charity will materialize. That's what it means. And again, it's a level one to five. Remote will be level one. Unlikely will be level two. Possible level three. Probable level four. Highly probable or imminent at level five. Now, a level one would basically be, you know, something that may only occur in exceptional circumstances. A level two would be it's expected to occur in a few circumstances. A level three would be expected to occur in some circumstances. A level four would be expected to occur in many circumstances. And a level five would be expected to occur frequently and in most circumstances. So let's apply this to our financial risk. There is a risk that the current Brexit negotiations will undermine contract negotiations with Airbus because Brexit is creating an environment of uncertainty with EU businesses. We already said the impact would be three or four. I've kept it at four now. The likelihood is three. So it's expected to occur in some circumstances. What is the circumstance here? Well, it's the, the Brexit negotiations. Those are the circumstances. There are circumstances outside of Brexit that may not affect your contract negotiations. So you can't say many circumstances. It will be some circumstances. Now, you, this is where you need to be careful. It's not only about things occurring in some or many circumstances, because this contract is, con if it's contingent, if it's dependent on Brexit not happening, for example, or Brexit not materializing in the way that, you know, would be, would be, would have, that would have a negative impact on your contract, then you may want to raise the probability to four, depending on what your understanding of the Brexit negotiations are. Because if by sourcing best practice advice or sourcing professional advice that they say there's a, it's extremely probable that the Brexit negotiations would go down a, a, a road that, that would inevitably impact your contract negotiations, then based on that advice, you may have to raise it from a three to a four. But the reason I'm mentioning this is for you to start to think outside the box and, and, and start to think that it's not... It's not just merely as saying that, you know, obviously this this financial risk may happen uh, based on some circumstances and, and those circumstances are Brexit negotiations. It's not as simple as saying that, because if if it's just contingent on that circumstance, then if it uh, if it happens and it's likely to happen, then it's highly probable. And if it's highly probable, then you may have to increase the li likelihood from a three to a four. So the risk score. Now, you could score this how you want. And the Charity Commission, they don't just give low, medium, high. They give low, medium, high, and severe, I believe. But it depends what your charity want to do. The Charity Commission are not going to penalize you for not using their, their kind of risk score um, assessment. Um, all the Charity Commission would do is they would tell you off if you said you were going to do something, you didn't do it. So that's what mismanagement is, is that you've got a policy, you've got a procedure, you've used most of best practice, but you've slightly tweaked it to your environment. If you don't follow through with that, then that would be seen as mismanagement, right? But, you know, picking a, a, a risk levels that are not, um, not entirely in line with what Charity Commission have suggested is not mismanagement. You've just decided to do it your own way, but the essence and the, the essence of the best practice is still there. So what we've decided to do is just have a very simple low, medium, high, risk score one to five, 
which is remember if you remember is the impact times the likelihood it would be a low risk uh, a medium risk would be a 6 to 11 score a high risk would be 12 to 25 and it's very important to have this in place low medium high green amber red it's an easy way to report to the board it's an easy way to basically um just to report to your to to the necessary uh, levels of management it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just easier to basically manage risk that way when you're risk reporting so we've done the assessment now the mitigation so what's mitigation mitigation is very simple is the actions that you have in place to mitigate the risks it's the action that you have in place to deal with the risk when it materializes or to lower the likelihood of it occurring or to lower the impact of the risk or the potential impact of the risk so as the charity commission say where major risks are identified the trustees will need to make sure that the appropriate action is being taken to manage them and this is very important so any appropriate managers uh, any appropriate action that you're taking to manage the risk is known as mitigation now there are five main ways of mitigating risks now i've called it crap tea so you see this lovely old lady she's shocked most probably because she just drank crap tea apologies but I'm only using this because you won't forget it, okay? So what does CRAP T stand for? It stands for Contingency Reduction Acceptance Prevention and Transfer. So these are the areas of mitigating risk. So what's a contingency? A contingency is an action or plan for when the risk materializes. So when it becomes an issue, when the risk materializes, you have a plan in place to reduce the impact, okay? Again, something that's slightly separate but it's also connected is reduction what's reduction is an actual plan that reduces the potential impact of the risk i forgot to mention the word potential there because the difference between reduction and contingency contingency is when the risk materializes reduction is when it still hasn't materialized but you've had an action plan in place that reduces the potential impact of the risk there's also acceptance acceptance is do nothing if the risk can be tolerated given its current score then just don't do anything. If, if it means by doing something, it may create more risk, like financial operational risk, then my advice is don't do anything, but keep an eye on it. Prevention. Prevention is an action or plan that lowers the likelihood of it occurring. So you could put some actions or plans in place that lowers the likelihood of it occurring. For example, you know, especially when it comes to our area of work, if you're afraid of some volunteers, they may breach your extremism policy because they may have said something that could be misconstrued as extremism. The way of lowering the probability of that risk occurring is by training them, making sure they sign up to your risk management policy, they sign up to your risk management guidance and getting them to be trained, effect, uh, to have effective training. So they internalize best practice, they internalize what it means to be, you know, uh, someone who conveys Islam with compassion and reason uh, and therefore that would lower the likelihood of any breach of the extremism policy. Finally, you have T for transfer, which essentially means that you transfer the impact and management of the risk to somebody else. It's nothing to do with you anymore from that point of view. For example, you have a third party contracted to write some software. You could put in your contract that they own all the risk concerning the, the errors in the code. So there's sometimes there are testing errors, there are coding errors when someone's writing software for you. In actual fact, we have this happening right now. We're, we're just finishing off a, a, 
a finance system and a actually we're just going to be doing a risk management system too what basically happens is you know we, we don't want to own all the risk concerning the problems with the software because there's inevitable problems when it comes to coding there may be bugs appearing uh, what the way to transfer the risk is in the contract or in the service level agreement with the company you could say to them you own all the or you you have the responsibility for ensuring that uh, if there's any bugs in the system that you actually have all the plans in place to mitig mitigate the impact of those bugs on the system itself uh, and then you could put that in the contract itself so basically you transferred the 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 management of the risk to somebody else so let's give an example concerning the risk that we've been talking about so just to remind you uh, the risk was there is a risk that the current brexit negotiations will undermine our current negotiations with airbus because brexit is creating an environment of uncertainty with eu businesses and the mitigation or one mitigation by the way you could have many mitigations uh, one mitigation could be provide airbus with a detailed impact assessment of brexit on your business with solutions to any hurdles and obstacles that may hinder and Airbus's ability to agree the contract. This is a form of prevention, because if you could give Airbus, for example, a really detailed impact assessment saying, if this happens, this is what we will do. If this happens, these will be the hurdles, and this is how we overcome them, to give more confidence to Airbus, to make them understand that even if Brexit, even if a worse form of Brexit were to materialize, we still have business running per perfectly. We still are able to sign the contract, and there will be no adverse effect on Airbus or on ourselves concerning you know the worst form of brexit from materializing now this would be a form of prevention if you were to share that report share that assessment with airbus prior to the completion of any brexit negotiations so what's important now is not just to stay with the pre-mitigation assessment because remember we assessed the risk we gave it a score of 12 the likelihood was three the impact was four based upon the fact that we haven't mitigated anything now since now we have a mitigation in place the level of the risk is going to the score is going to change it may increase or it may decrease now if you have good mitigations in place the the mitigation the score the risk score should actually become get lower so in this case we said what the financial risk is we gave it we, we did a pre-mitigation assessment Likelihood is three, impact is four, therefore the pre-mitigation score is 12. We've put a mitigation in place, which is an impact assessment, which is a form of prevention. So what does prevention do? It lowers the likelihood. So it should, if it's effective, and if we, we actually action that mitigation, it should lower the likelihood. So our post-mitigation assessment will now change. Instead of the likelihood to be three, it's now two. Now the impact will stay the same, fair enough, but when you do the score, it's moved from a high level risk to a medium level risk. Now the mitigation score is now eight. It's very important in your risk management strategies and, and process um, in, in your charity that you don't only assess before the mitigation, you assess after the mitigation as well. It's very important. And that would help you keep the risk dynamic and you're always looking at your risk because as your mitigations change, as you implement them and action them, you know that you have to start to change and tweak your post-mitigation assessment. Pre-mitigation, 
may always stay the same, but it's the post mitigation assessment that is likely to change regularly depending on your mitigation strategies. Now, my advice is when you start to put all this in place, you need to start off by having a policy and procedure in your organization signed off by the board. I think, you know, we all have a statutory requirement. Charities have a legal and statutory requirement for the trustees and the board to sign off a risk management policy and procedure. We have our own risk management policy and procedure as well. And this is the structure of the risk management policy and procedure. You could take the structure and you can develop it, develop it further as well. Have the purpose of the document so you can talk about why you have this document. What is your approach to risk management? My advice is stick to best practice, stick to the Charity Commission guidance. What is the role of the board and its composition of the board? What is the role of the risk management group in its composition, if applicable? For example, in our context, we actually have a risk management group, which involves stakeholders. If you remember what I talked about brainstorming, we need to have stakeholders involved, people who, who are involved in best practice. You know, we have a governance consultant that sits on the risk management group. You know, what is the role of the risk coordinator? It might not be one role, it may be an aspect of an existing role, but you need to have someone who's basically helping manage the process of the risk and helping doing the initial assessments. What are the roles of the key staff of volunteers? How do you establish a risk management culture? What are the internal controls? What's your governance structure? What's your, what's your risk management framework? Do you have a risk register? Well, now you do because we've given you one for free that you could use and amend at your pleasure. You could download it. You could see it on the right-hand side of your screen if you click on the handout section. Um, also, developing a risk management culture. How are you going to develop a risk management culture? As I said, what we do, we do many things, but what we also do is we always have a permanent risk management item on, it, on our staff meeting agendas. Uh, and what's the risk management, risk management process? Obviously, you're going to do identification, assessment, pre and post mitigation, mitigation itself, pre and post mitigation analysis, assessment. Oh, you know, you're going to have a process map to make it easier for people to follow. But you may have to have a process that's tailored to your organization. And that's why we have our own process that's tailored to organization as well. So this is the kind of um, summary of our current process. Uh, it looks quite complicated, but we've done it deliberately to ensure fl the flow of operations. Um, and basically what we have, we have a risk assessment request that could come via any channel based on best practice, based on our culture, based on the staff meetings, based on what the board have sent through. Anyone could put a risk assessment through. The information is passed to the operations coordinator that's responsible for doing the initial risk assessment. What we've done is if the risk assessment is low, the score is low, um, from the point of view of post mitigation, once there's been an assessment with, with one or two initial mitigations, if it now is low, then an email is sent to the, a trustee and the CEO to approve. If uh, and now once the trustee and CEO assess the risk, if it's approved, then it goes to the risk register and the risk register is updated accordingly and the activity can continue, for example. Now, the reason we did this because we wanted, we didn't want operations to stop uh, and uh, as a result of, you know, thinking that all risks have to go through our risk management group. The risk management group meet once a month. You know, if we had to wait once a month before any risk is approved or assessed, um, therefore there could be huge delay in our operations. And we have a duty to our, um, to our donors in order for us to ensure that we're 
we're rolling out our action plan for the year. So if it's initially assessed as low from the operations coordinator and they're going to assess this based on their expertise, uh, meetings that they have with stakeholders, meetings that they have with influentials, meetings that they have with, with, with professionals and people who understand best practice, um, understanding previous experience. Once that person puts that all together, they'll they'll put some initial mitigations in place. As a result of the initial mitigations, if the assessment is of the risk is still low, then we, it, an email is just sent to the CEO and the trustee. They do their further assessment. If the risk is approved, then the action continues. We can carry on the operations and the risk register is updated. Now, if the initial risk assessment is not low or it's not approved as a result of it being first assessed as low, then it has to go to the RMG. And the RMG meet once a month. Uh, then the RMG will carry out its own risk assessment. If the risk assessment is medium, then the RMG have the delegated authority from the board to assess and mitigate medium level risks. And then once they approve that risk and mitigate it as best as possible, it goes to the risk register and the action continues. However, if the RMG upon the assessment see that that risk is high, it has to be passed to the board by a board meeting with full details and a full report. report. The board will have to carry out the risk assessment and find out what type of mitigations have to be put in place, whether the risk is going to be open or closed, whether we're going to assess the risk, what kind of finances we're going to associate with the mitigations on that risk. And once they agree that risk and, it, and, and it's a high level risk, um, they would have to basically, you know, it'll have to be the operations coordinator would have to record and update the decisions and update the risk register. Now, all of this is continuing the RMG have the responsibility of seeing risks, even if they're low, seeing the high risks and making sure that those mitigations are in place. Now, this is based upon our, our development of the risk management group, its responsibility and its governance. So here you can read some of the things that we put in place. You know, the risk management group has a delegated responsibility by the board to manage IRA's risk management process, carry out risk assessments, every six months on its speakers. And by the way, we have separate risk assessments concerning speakers, but I didn't want to get into that. I want to make this as generic as possible. Um, we want to log any new risks, which um, they, the RMG, the risk management group, log any new risks which emerge and to continue to review the risk. They identify the risk, they do the mitigations and the monitoring. Um, they ensure all mitigation actions are implemented. They review and update the risk register. Um, via the operations coordinator because that person's part of the risk management group as well. Uh, risk management meetings will follow the risk categories required by the Charity Commission. Uh, concerning the risk management group governance, the risk management group sits every month to review and approve the risk assessments. Um, the RMG have the delegate authority to, to be able to approve any risk assessment that has been initially scored as low by email. Um, and members from the RMG will be able to do that. Uh, the RMG would also be able to assess and mitigate and control risks with a score of medium. They could accept or reject risks that are of medium score. Uh, anything that's of high, for example, has to go to the board as we just discussed. Uh, there'll be a quarterly report sent to the board of trustees. 
um, all risks, regardless of initial scoring, will be further reviewed by the RMG, the risk management group. So as you can see, we have a very detailed process that we've implemented and we've taken that best practice and we've tailored it to our, our own organization. So finally, in the last five minutes, I know it's taken some time, um, we have to understand who's responsible, who's responsible for risk management in a charity. Now, overall, it's the trustees. As you see here with the Charity Commission guidance, I've taken it from the Charity Commission guidance, it's the trustee body. The responsibility rests on the trustee body. However, as the Charity Commission says, don't misinterpret this. Don't think that the trustees have to do everything, right? The trustees are likely to delegate elements of the risk management process to the staff or professional advisors, as has been done in IERA. So there is a form of delegated authority, but you have to mention that in your risk management policy, as we mentioned previously. Mention what the levels of delegated authority are. In the case of IERA, the trustees have delegated authority to the RMG and to the operations coordinator, but there's always a trustee on the RMG. So understand the ultimate responsibility of risk management is on the trustees, but for bigger charities, you know, the trustees are allowed to delegate some of that authority to other members of staff or other groups that they have created within the organization. And this now means we have to think about legal requirements. Now, it's very important to understand that charities that are required by law to have their accounts audited, which means that the charities have an income of over half a million, or they have a gross income exceeding a quarter of a million, but with gross assets held exceeding 3.26 million, these type of charities, they have to have a risk management status uh, statement in the trustees annual report. This is a legal statutory requirement. So charities that are required by law to have their accounts audited have to have a risk management statement in the trustees annual report. Now, if your charity is required to be audited, it means your charity has an income of more than half a million, or it means you have a gross income exceeding a quarter of a million with gross assets held exceeding 3.26 million. So that's very important to understand when you have your trustees annual report, if you're, if you're this type of charity that you pass the audit threshold, then you have to have a risk management statement in your trustees report. Now, what is the risk management statement? It's actually very simple. It's not supposed to be a crazy report. The, even the Charity Commission, they're not looking to see some kind of crazy template reporting or detailed analysis. All they want you to see is the following. All they want to see is the following. An acknowledgement of the trustees' responsibility, responsibility of risk management, an overview of the risk identification process in your organization, an indication that major risks identified have been reviewed or assessed, and a confirmation that you have control systems in place in your charity to manage those risks. It's that simple. Now, Larger charities may want to do, do a little bit more. They want to give a little bit more detail. So what the Charity Commission say that they can do, they don't have to do, but what they can do if they want to give more detail, they could talk about the description of the major risks faced. Like all your high-level risks, you could put them in your trustees report and your report. You could you know, include the links between the identification of a major risk and the operational strategic objectives of the charity. How do How do the major risks affect the charitable objects. You may talk about the procedures you have in place that, that deal with these type of risks. You want to talk about maybe the link between the risk assessment and the evaluation to the likelihood of its occurrence and impact should the event occur. Um, you may want to talk about a description of the risk assessment process and the monitoring that's been embedded in your operational and management culture. 
and so forth and so on. Now, you don't have to do this. The main thing that you do have to do as per the Charity Commission guidance is that if you pass the audit threshold, you have to put a statement in your trustees annual report, which is as follows, to make a narrative statement on an acknowledgement of the trustees responsibility of the risks, an overview of the risk identification process, an indication that the major risks identified have been reviewed or assessed, and that you can confirm that you have control systems in place to manage those risks effectively. So, what do you need to do to what do you need now to what do you need to do now to have an effective risk management process and 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 policy and procedure? Number one, establish a risk policy and procedure. I see the relevant previous slide for an outline. Number two, identify your risk. Number three, assess your risks. Okay, we've given you a risk register. Okay, and it's free. Just download it. It's on your handouts. Mitigation, make sure that you evaluate what action needs to be taken on risks and you must have periodic monitoring and assessment. We do this regularly every meeting. We have RMGs, risk management groups once a month. And we also mention the high level risks at board meetings as well. Now, you can even go even further and this transcends anything mentioned in the Charity Commission best practice. This is an even greater best practice, even better best practice. The Charity Commission haven't mentioned this, but it's important to cost your risks. Because remember, if you have actions connected to your risk that lower the impact or lower the probability or lower the impact if the risk were to materialize, those actions have operational or non-operational costs associated with them. My advice would be, in the risk management register we've given you, create another column and put costs that are associated with your mitigations, call them mitigation costs. And then you now see how much it costs for you to manage your risks. And this is a brilliant way of understanding if you've gone over your tolerance boundaries in, in monetary terms, because this, there's this idea called risk tolerance. Now, what is risk tolerance? Risk tolerance is the total amount of risk an, an organization is willing to accept. And this is usually expressed in monetary terms, quantitatively in monetary terms or it could be it could be it could be expressed in qualitative terms in terms of the you know what kind of unacceptable outcomes or level of risk are you willing to tolerate now i don't want to get into this this may require another webinar but what's very important is start to think about your costs and your risk tolerance what kind of levels of risk are you able as an organization to deal with and what kind of costs and what kind of you know, monies are you are you able to allocate to mitigations to deal with your current risks? If you don't have the costs available to mitigate your risks, or your risks are to a level where they're intolerable, then that needs to be raised with the trustees, and and that requires some very careful strategic thinking on how to deal with it, and. I think if you do implement that, have some costs associated, operational, non-operational costs associated with your mitigations, it would give you a really interesting assessment on how much you're spending on risk management. That's a first step to do to go even further concerning best practice. And that would inform next year's budget. And over the few years that you're operating, you'll be able to see an average cost that's associated with your risk management. And you could include that in your yearly budget. Because sometimes we have hidden costs that we're not aware of and dealing with risks can, you know, expose where your hidden costs are. It's basically dealing with the mitigations, actioning the mitigations to lower the impact and likelihood of your risks.
That's something for you to think about. So think about your tolerance boundaries or risks um, in monetary terms, in quantitative and qualitative terms. And I would say even for now, create another column on the risk management spreadsheet we've given you and put mitigation costs. Just do a, a kind of you know brainstorm and, 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 and just think about how much would it cost to implement these actions from an operational, non-operational point of view. You can add that, add that together. And those costs would also change when your mitigations change as well. And it will give you a good idea on how much you're spending on your risks, which would therefore create more risks because you may have a financial risk now because you may end up spending too much operational and non-operational costs in dealing with your risks in the first place. And that would trigger the whole risk management process again from that point of view. But anyway, that's for maybe another time. But I thought I will put that in there so you start thinking about once you've got best practice implemented to think about even better practice which concerns risk tolerance boundaries and costing your risks so you've just listened to iera's charity management series webinar not all risks are equal risk management in the charity sector any other questions so the other question is how can we ensure that the risk process followed by the trustees, it is something not of interest to the board? Uh, it is sometimes not something of interest to the board. Well, the one way to do that is to have a good communication with the board of trustees and for them, for you to educate them and to point towards the right direction that they actually have legal responsibilities as trustees in order to manage the charity. And one way of doing that is by basically speaking to your trustees and showing them the charity commission guidance on the issue and that they have legal responsibility and once you show that to them because it's all about education if you show that to them in the best professional manner, manner possible show them the implications of not managing risk show them the legal implications of not managing risk and show them um that you could be accused of mismanagement by a potential charity investigation which you don't want to happen now you know it's not about it's not about, you know, uh, creating fear, but they should have within them, you know, the zeal and the passion to ensure that the charity is successful because you have charitable objects. One way of ensuring that the charity is successful is by implementing good risk management because, you know, problems are going to be inevitable. And it's about dealing with those future problems, those potential problems. That's what risk management is. So I would say just create that communication. Show them this webinar. That's one way of doing it and show them the relevant charity commission guidance for risk management. Now, if they still, after going through exhausting all the, all the different avenues of ensuring that they understand the necessity for risk management, if they still, they still do not want to even implement risk management, even though they may have a statutory duty to do so, then you may have to go to the charity commission website and look at the whistleblowing policy and unfortunately, you may have to contact the, the charity commission yourself to let them know that there's mismanagement um, because it's your responsibility as an individual because this is charitable money and it could be seen as a misappropriation of charitable funds because if you know that you have to do risk management and there are risks in, 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 in uh, concerning your charitable activities and deliberately not having risk management means maybe spending more money when problems actually occur, then that could be seen as a mis mismanagement of funds. And that's the last thing you want on your neck. Um, but you know what, that hardly happens. Don't worry, I'm really sure that if you're professional and kind and compassionate and smart, if you speak to your trustees and tell them about the legality and the statutory nature of this, and not only that, that 
that it would help the charity fulfill its objectives in, in, in the best way possible, I am sure that anyone who's sincere would actually want to implement risk management in the organization. And, uh, you know, just as a caveat, this is not, you know, I, we can't give you everything in an hour and 15 minutes. We can't give you, you know, we can't implement risk management for you. We've just given you some of best practice. We've given you some indicators where to investigate and learn further. We've given you a free risk, risk register. You have to continue the journey yourself now. Go on the Charity Commission website. You know, maybe you want to hire a contractor for a few days to give you best practice concerning risk management, a governance consultant, a governance advisor. You know, all those things are very, very important. Uh, hopefully, this webinar was to initiate your risk management journey. Okay. So, yeah, may God bless you all. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you've enjoyed yourself. And I really hope that your charity now implements effective risk management in order to prevent the potential problems from materializing. And hopefully, if you put this in place, you'll be able to mitigate, mitigate your risk as best as possible and you will be able to fulfill your charitable objectives. All the best. God bless. Thank you very much for listening.